have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Samuel. We're going to continue through our series in the book of 1 Samuel. And as we've noticed, there is a kingship theme throughout this book. There's a kingship theme throughout this book. Last week we, we covered chapters 9 through 11. And we looked at the rise of King Saul. Uh, the, the Israelites had desired to have a king. Uh, they hadn't had a king in the past. God had fought their battles for them. Um, God had delivered them out of Egypt. God had protected them, preserved them, and they relied upon God. They cried out to God, and God answered them. And then they, they got under some pressure. Somebody was coming against them, and they said, hey, we want a king. Give us a, a king like the other nations have to govern us and to fight our battles. And the Old Testament makes provision for a king and gives instructions for when Israel does have a king, or when they have kings, of how those kings are to operate. And so God, God gave them what they asked for, but, but God said that, he told Samuel that they're rejecting me in this request. Because I have been, that has been my job description for them, to fight their battles. And so what they're asking, they're, the implication in what they're asking is, God, you haven't done a very good job, and, and we need someone better to fill your role. So it was, a, it was a subtle act of treason, a subtle act of idolatry to, to put hope and an earthly king who could fight some battles for them, make some things happen for them, so they could be like the other nations who had a king, who had kings to go out and fight their battles. And so what we, what we looked at last week was is we see that God providentially provided them a king, the king that they asked for, or a king like they asked for in a sense. God uh, said that he would deliver them out of the hands of the Philistines. And God uh, had Samuel go ahead and, and, and anoint Saul to be their, their new king. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul. And we see that God has already used this man Saul, who was an imperfect human being, an imperfect leader. And as we read the story of 1 Samuel, we will see more and more of his character flaws but here he seems to start out all right other other than he was a little bit he was cowardly when it came time to to uh to be presented he was hiding in the baggage he was afraid of people the fear of man as, as we read the story the fear of man is a is a flaw of his that he struggles with and so so but anyhow god anointed god had samuel anoint him with oil Anoint him as king, present him as king. The, the people said, long live the king. We have a king now. And, and the spirit of the Lord came upon Saul and he fought against the Ammonites. And, and God delivered Israel from the Ammonites in this battle as they were coming against the Israelites. And so here we're in 1 Samuel chapter 12 and I have titled this message, Here is Your King. Here's your king. 1 Samuel chapter 12 is Samuel's farewell message and exhortation. He gives a strong 
prophetic exhortation to the people of Israel. He is old now. Okay, he had served the Israelites. He had served the Lord faithfully and served the Israelites faithfully for many years now from, from childhood. And, and now there's a transition from a theocracy to a monarchy. Okay? Where, where now they're going to have an earthly king. But Samuel, again, is reminding them that there's going to be some challenges. He, as he did in chapter 8, he reminded them of what would happen when they got their earthly king. Okay? And so here's your king. 1 Samuel chapter 12. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me. And I have made you a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you. And I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Of, of, from, of from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I will restore it to you. And they said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. And Samuel said to the people, the Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you. And for your fathers, when Jacob went into to Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, when your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord, their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines, into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them and they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and Astaroth. But now deliver us out of the hands of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jer Jeroboam, Barak, Japheth, Samuel. And Samuel delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And you lived in safety. And when you saw Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, come against you, came against you. You said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the, Lord's, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but re rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? 
I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the name of the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to our sins this evil to ask ourselves for a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. But I, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. If you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, as we look at these powerful words that come from you through the prophet Samuel, would you speak to us this morning? Would you lead us into your will, into your way? And would you teach us to fear you? Unite our hearts to fear your name. Teach us, God, to be devoted to you, to respond to you in all that you've done for us, to take in all that you've done for us and respond with surrender and abandon to you, for you have given yourself to us. You have been faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, here is our big idea this morning. The Lord deserves and demands the highest allegiance of his people as their true king, who has done great things for them, and is committed to their well-being for his namesake. The Lord deserves and demands the highest allegiance of his people as their true king, who has done great things for them and is committed to their well-being for his name's sake. So there's a number of elements that I want to point out here in Samuel's farewell message, in his exhortation, in his, in his warnings, his encouragement, his exhortation to the people of Israel, it, it sounds like a, a court scene. He's, he's calling witness before the Lord and before the people. And he starts off and he says, look at my life. I'm testifying today that I've done my part. The Lord has done his part. He's been faithful. I've done my part as a priest, as a prophet, as a judge. And, and, and Samuel was known by the people, and he walked before them from youth. He was a child. Remember the story when, when Hannah dedicated young Samuel to the Lord, to, to Eli's house, and, and, and to serve and to be there in, in the, the ministry courts. And, and, and he was raised up as a prophet of the Lord. And at a young age, he, he heard from God. He heard God's voice, and he responded to the voice of the Lord. And, and God raised him up as a prophet. 
in a day when the word of the Lord was rare, where people, there wasn't widespread revelation and, and the word of God wasn't going out to the people for the good of the people. And God raised up a Samuel to walk before them. It says, now behold, the king walks before you and I'm old and gray and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth. I got a picture of a glass house up here. A glass house. I was, as I was looking at this and studying this, I was reminded of something that the pastor who mentored me would often say. Him and his wife would often say, we live in a glass house. As pastors and as ministry leaders. We live in a, in a glass house. Our life is open before the church. We're known by the church. You guys see our lives. You know what's going on in our lives. And this should be so. This is so for leaders, right? They're, they're, leaders are, are on the front lines. Pastors are on the front lines. And there's something wrong if, if, if a leader is hiding, not being known by the people that they're leading, Right? And so Samuel walked before them. He did what was right and lived a, a transparent, godly life, a righteous and just life before them. And now I must say, this, this often feels very uncomfortable or sometimes feels uncomfortable, right? And maybe more so for wives. <laughs> um, and that's kind of the joke I, that, that, that was often said, you know, because uh, the guy who mentored me, Brad Weir, would, would often share, even from the pulpit, just open up and be vulnerable with his own struggles. Just knowing his own need for the continued grace and mercy as a follower of Jesus, right? And so he lived, he walked before the Lord and he, he called attention to his conduct. He didn't steal anything from them. He didn't defraud anyone. He didn't oppress. He didn't take a bribe. His conduct was just and righteous. You see, this is a temptation for those who are in power, whether it's political power or those who serve and, and, and have spiritual leadership. There's a temptation to, to be a taker, right? To, to misuse that authority, that God-given authority, that God-given position to take from people. And as we looked at this a few weeks ago, Samuel said, this is what's going to happen when you guys get a king. He's going to take, take, Take. He's going to take from you. You're going to experience that. Alright? And so Samuel is calling attention to his own life. And this would be in contrast to the kings that would be in office. That the kings who would, would come into office for Israel and they would take from the people of God. And, and God warned them that this is going to happen. God said, give them what they're asking for. But to let them know that that king is going to take, take, take from them. They're going to be taxed, right? The, the, the king is going to hire the daughters to, to serve in the, the court palaces, uh, hire the sons for military uh, purposes, and so on. But Samuel says, I haven't stolen, I haven't defrauded, I haven't oppressed, I haven't taken a bribe. And as, as I was studying this, I was reminded of the Apostle Paul's address to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. He said, you guys, he, he starts off saying in, in verse 17, you guys know how I walked before you in humility, tears, and I, I served the Lord with humility and tears and, and trials. You guys saw my life. And then towards the end, he said, 
I've coveted no one's silver or gold. I've, I've worked hard with my hands and provided for my own needs. He was a tent maker by trade. He was bivocational, a traveling evangelist, an apostle, planting churches. And he says, it's more blessed, Jesus taught, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And, and, and so there's this godly character and conduct that God calls for leaders to have. Those who serve in these positions of leadership here with Samuel and those who saw who was stepping into kingship. And, and any pastor or leader in the church, that's actually an emphasis in First Timothy chapter 3. Those who serve in the church as elders or overseers, Paul gives a whole list of character traits that are to mark their lives. Okay, because character matters to God. All right. And the more leadership responsibility that's put on a life, the more pressure that's put on a life. If if they don't have that character, they're going to crumble under the pressure of that leadership. And so it's foundational for godly leadership. And isn't that what we want? Aren't godly leaders a blessing from the Lord, whether they're Political leaders, those who serve in office and government. Don't we want that? We pray for righteous and just leaders or spiritual leaders, those who serve within the church. Don't we want those who are going to do what's right and just? And we want those who are going to be gracious and kind and patient, Christ-like, have the fruit of the Spirit. And what a gift that is when God raises up godly men and women in our lives. To point us to him. And so Samuel was that. Samuel was pointing the Israelites to the Lord in his teaching and his example that he set. Now verses 6 through 11, Samuel did what Moses did and and did what Stephen does in Acts chapter 7. He He rehearsed redemptive history, redemption history to the Israelites. He he brought them through God's story of faithfulness and redemption in their lives. He said the Lord appointed Moses and Aaron in response to the, the oppression of the Israelites in Egypt. Their cry came up to God and was heard by God and God heard. He knew, he saw, and he took action. He raised up a Moses and Aaron and he performed righteous deeds before the Israelites by a mighty hand and strong arm. He delivered the Israelites out of Egypt with 10 plagues and and parting the Red Sea. And then Israel, uh, you know, Samuel highlights, they, they forgot God. They forgot God and they forsook God. And this is a reoccurring cycle that we see Throughout history with the Israelites. And maybe that's been a cycle you've seen in your life as well. Some of us are, would not like to admit how much we are like the Israelites in our straying from God. And going into this cycle where we, we forget. We have spiritual amnesia. and we, we forget. And Peter talks about that. When we continue in, in sin. That, that those who uh, don't grow and, 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 but continue in sin. They've forgotten that they've been cleansed. They're short-sighted. And so Israel forgot, and that led to them forsaking the Lord and turning away from the Lord and, and, and looking for other means of deliverance, other means of help. 
And maybe it didn't seem like a very bad thing that they wanted another, they wanted a king like the other nations in the name of national security. We want a king too, like to fight our battles. But they had forgotten that God had been fighting their battles already for them. God had been providing, God had been protecting them, and he wasn't going to leave them or forsake them. But under pressure, when when the enemies were coming against them, they're like, hey, give us a king. So here's the cycle. They, God would deliver them. They would forget God. They would get under pressure. They would feel the pain of their poor choices. They would find themselves in crisis. They would find themselves in distress. And they would cry out to the Lord. And what would God do? He would graciously hear their cry and respond. Right? I, I don't know about you, but I, I want to pray more than just when I'm in trouble. I want to pray when times are good and thank God and, and commune with Him and walk with Him. I don't want to just go to God when everything's falling apart and, and gosh, I need your help, God. Right? And yet it's those moments that God uses to remind us, to teach us. Some of us need that sting of a speeding ticket. To stop speeding. <laughs> So they cried out to God. They confessed their sins. And then, and, and then Samuel mentioned some other folks that God raises up. And, and we see this in the book of Judges. God raised up Zerubbabel and Barak and Japheth and, and then Samuel here. And so this is how God has responded. He raised up these, these, these leaders to, de, to deliver them, to, to help lead them out. But it was the Lord's doing. And he worked through imperfect people. So Samuel's rehearsing redemptive history. But then also Samuel confronts their sin in this exhortation. He says, when you saw Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, come against you, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord, your God, was your king. What do we do under pressure? How do we respond under pressure? When, when the pressure's up, when there's a financial pressure, there's a relational pressure, there's a health pressure, a trial. What do we do? The Israelites in that moment, they wanted a king for help. Why not cry out to the Lord God right then? In that moment, like they've done in the past. Maybe God will show up again. Or perhaps he will. I think he will. He's been faithful in the past. He'll be faithful today. And Samuel says, now behold the king whom you have chosen. Samuel seems to be distancing himself a bit with this act that took place. He went with it, as God said to do. He was, like when he first heard it, he was very discouraged. And he brought, went to the Lord, and the Lord said, hey, don't take it personal. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. So give them what they're asking for. Give them what they're asking for. And so he does. He, gives the, he anoints them a king. And, and he seems to start off all right. But, but Samuel is distancing himself, saying, Behold the king whom you have chosen, whom you've asked for. And so it's just a reminder as a witness against them. This is what you wanted, right? This is what you asked for. There's a, a saying, I think, in, um, about um, complaining about too much, um, not enough leisure. Not all, It was, I think, in... in uh, UK in, in the 19, 
80s. Uh, not, not enough leisure, too much work, right? And then there was a recession, and then there was no work, and then there was complaint about that. Eugene Peterson says that he highlights that what, what, were, what they were doing was rejecting God's sovereignty. It is God's sovereignty that they were rejecting. The root of the demand for a king is not political aspiration, but a spiritual dodge. They suppose that getting rid of God as their king will give them more say-so over their own lives. Every political system before and since, whether a monarchy, democracy, socialism, communism, has encouraged that supposition. For us, God is our king. We pray for the leaders within our nation, but ultimately we, we look to him and in him we trust. And then we see uh, Samuel's response is paraphrased here by Robert Chisholm. He says that within the limitations placed on kingship by the Lord, I have fully acceded to your demand as king. It kind of seems a, a little bit confusing as you're reading through. It's like, okay, is God, you know, God, are you okay with this? Are you good with this? Do you want this? Or is this wrong, right? And, and he makes it very clear in this chapter, this is sin. And he made it clear in chapter 8. But then God anointed Saul. And so the Spirit of God came upon Saul. And, and God brought deliverance through Saul. So which is it? It's kind of complex. It's kind of challenging here. And, and we're complex being, and God is very complex and dynamic. Right? And so God says, okay. Samuel says, okay, I'll, I'll give you the king that you asked for. And then Samuel also exhorted Israel. He exhorted them to fear the Lord, to serve the Lord, to obey the Lord. And, and just like it says in Deuteronomy chapter 28, under the Mosaic Covenant, there's all these blessings that will come to you if you will obey the Lord. And there's curses that will come upon you if you disobey the Lord. He says, if you will fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, if both you and the King who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. That's what we want. Right? But but see, now there's a King in the mix. Now, the, the, with the King in the mix, it, it affects how God deals with the nation as a whole. The nation of Israel as a whole. Having a King. If, if He's going to turn away from the Lord and lead the people the wrong way, then there's going to be issues. There's going to be defeat. There's going to be painful consequences. And so Samuel exhorted Israel, fear the Lord, serve Him, obey Him. And we see this a couple times in this chapter. He's calling them to fidelity, to, to faithfulness, to, to obedience, to, to worshipful reverence of God, devotion to God. And then he warned, Samuel warned the Israelites of the consequences of disobedience. There's at least two verses here where he does that. He says, if you don't obey, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. We don't want that, right? And then we see at the very end of his, his address, he says, but if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. So he gives some sobering warnings here. Samuel didn't water down the message. He, he, he did his part in warning the Israelites 
of the consequences of disobedience. And then after that, after he did that, I think this is interesting, he, he prayed for thunder and rain, as we, we read here earlier. He says, is it not wheat harvest today? He says, I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, that you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the name of the Lord and sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Now what's interesting about this was this was typically a time when Israel does not, did not see rain, does not see rain. Uh, this was, I think, between uh, mid-May and, and June during the, the wheat harvest. And so Samuel is praying for rain. It's, it's like, like seeing rain or snow in uh, Miami, if you will, right? Middle of summer. Like it, it's very, it's, it's unique. It's awkward, right? And God answers his prayer and God confirms with a sign, with a sign, that what Samuel has just said is from the Lord. Now, we've already seen God use a storm in, in 1 Samuel, right? Remember, he thundered against his enemies and they were, they were confused against Israel's enemies. They were confused and, and God delivered them. And so Samuel prayed for this. They see this great storm and it's a, it's a scary storm. They got very scared and afraid. They said, Lord, pray for us. Pray for us. I'm sure we've all had our experiences with some scary storms. We, we live in Texas here where there's tornadoes that come through and we have some significant thunderstorms. Right? Anybody, anybody remember praying to God in a, in a significant storm with sirens going off? Maybe you're in the bathtub taking shelter, got the, got the, the mattress and you're just, you're boarded up. Just like, Lord, save us. I remember as an unbeliever, as an unbeliever, a non-Christian, I was doing some bad stuff. But tornado, we lived in Tornado Alley, if you will, uh, in Arlington. It just seemed like it would always come down I-30, you know. And, and I was like, there was this tornado coming. I just remember being in the bathroom like, Jesus, save me. I want to get taken out by a tornado. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to go. Right? And, uh, and, and God uses this. We see through creation... The invisible attributes of God are clearly seen in creation. And we see powerful storms and loud thunder and lightning strikes. We're reminded of the power and the majesty of God. Right? Like, we don't mess with God. We, don't we, we ought to take Him seriously. And in this moment, the timing of this storm... After Samuel just said, hey, I'm going to pray for a storm. It's going to happen. This, and like that, that got their attention. And they, they, needed, they needed to give their attention to God. Right? I mean, parents, the, some of you know, know the experience of when you're trying to reason with your child and you have the best, clearest, airtight argument and reasoning. And you're explaining why it is to be this way, this, this particular way. And they're just not getting it. No matter how skilled you are in reasoning and explaining and communicating, everything, all the facts, here it is, they're just not convinced. They need, they need a visible reminder. They need a little bit more than just 
dad telling them or mom telling them. There's a commercial, funny commercial about the uh, TV dad. Have y'all seen that? Yeah. Where the, 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 the dad is trying to give some counsel to his son about insurance and his and he's not listening to it. And then this TV dad comes up and speaks to the to the son. And, and, and the son says, oh, thanks, TV dad. And he takes his advice, right? It's interesting. <laughs> Funny commercial. Anyhow, God, God uses the circumstances to get our attention. God used this storm to get the Israelites' attention, to confirm. Listen to what, what, what Samuel is saying here. And, and the response was, they greatly feared. They feared the Lord. They greatly feared. In that moment, they feared the Lord. And they feared Samuel. Okay? And notice, and, well, they, and then they, they pray in, in panic and in fear. They, they said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God. Now, this is interesting. What, why don't they say, pray to the Lord our God? Pray to the Lord. Our, why don't they pray? Why don't they cry out? But but they're they're looking to Samuel. He is their intercessor. He's their he's mediating you as a priest, as a prophet, as an intercessor, as a judge. And he he cultivated this this relationship, this intimate relationship with the Lord. And so they say, pray pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil and asking for ourselves a king. So now they get it. They, they realize we've done wrong. <laughs> we get it. You've told us. We see the lightning and the thunder, uh, the, the storm. We, we're, we're in the wrong. So pray for us. They confess. Now notice Samuel's response here. This is beautiful. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. He doesn't just sweep their sin under the rug. He doesn't just he didn't downplay the sin that they had committed. He didn't say, no, it's not a big deal. He, he says, don't do not be afraid. You have done this evil. Okay, that's true. Okay? Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord. But serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his, his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. So notice this in this, in this moment, Samuel says, Do not be afraid. You have done us evil. He says, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord. Right? In other words, like, like, okay, you've done wrong here in the past. But right now, you need to focus on following the Lord. Obeying the Lord. Listening and obeying the Lord. Fearing the Lord. And some of us can become crippled by the guilt and the shame of our past that we can't even function in a healthy way presently because the baggage of the past. We need to acknowledge our sin, acknowledge our guilt, and confess it as, as we heard testimony this morning of confession of sin. And, and, and God met Amanda as she went with just gospel grace and truth, gospel mercy. First, first John 1 John 1.9, right? And so we confess our sin, we acknowledge it, but we, we move on. The cross has taken care of our sin. Christ has paid it all. 
He's taking care of it. And so we've got to lay it down. We've got to acknowledge it. We've got to repent and then follow the Lord. Turn from our sin and trust in the Lord. Trust in Jesus, the Son of God. And, and Samuel says, the Lord will not forsake his people. Here's good news. He's reminding the Israelites of the character of God. He's reminding the Israelites of, of God's commitment, Yahweh's commitment to his people. He is not going to give up on you. No, you've done a lot of bad. But he's not going to give up on you. There's hope for you. Don't ever believe the lie that there's not hope for you. Why would we think our sin can be greater than the sacrifice of Jesus? The blood of Jesus to wash away our sin and the power of the gospel to transform our hearts and the power of the spirit to live inside of us. And empower us to live godly lives. Jesus has addressed the problem. And so our job is to, to respond in repentance and, and trust in him. Re receive what he has said. The Israelites were to receive uh, the reality that God is for them. God will not forsake them for his great namesake. Notice that. For God's own reputation. Okay. The, the reality of who he is. Israel bears witness of God had, um, had chosen Israel to work through, to provide and guide and, 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 and make known his name through the Israelites, through this small people group. And to this day, they're still around after many years of, of many, many trying to annihilate them. Like even in the last hundred years, like the, the Holocaust, Right. And yet they're still, they're still around. God has preserved the Israelites. He will not forsake his people for his great namesake. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. This is true of the Israelites. And this, this is true of every single one of us who are in Christ Jesus. He has redeemed us. He has bought us at a price. He has made us his own, and we are his, and he will never leave us or forsake us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is holding on to us. He is 100% for us, and the cross has said that loud and clear that the Father loves us. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus went in that, took that dark moment for you and I so that you and I will never experience God forsaking us. We will never experience everlasting separation and torment away from God. Those of us who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news. So, so what about this fear the Lord thing here? It seemed, there seems to be some mixed messages going on here. Samuel says, fear the Lord, but then he says, do not be afraid, right? Now, in, in the New Testament, the, the Old Testament says a lot about the fear of the Lord, okay? It's repeated over and over, okay? Now, it also talks about it in the New Testament. Maybe not as much, but it, it's repeated a number of times. So what do we make of this? Fear the Lord or don't fear the Lord, right? Or do not be afraid. 
um, as, as Samuel says. And we see that command in Scripture, the, the command, do not be afraid, is given more than any other command in Scripture. Do not be afraid. So what do we make of that? What do we make of fear? Because we read New Testament passages that, like 1 John 4, perfect love casts out fear. There's no fear in love. Because fear involves judgment, right? But perfect love casts out fear. Or uh, Romans 8, um, for you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Or 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, the spirit of power and love and sound mind. So what do we make of that? Because it's clear in the New Testament that God does command us to fear him as well. Peter tells the, the, the Christians to, to live your life in the fear of God, right? Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill the body, but fear him who has the power to kill the body and then cast the soul into hell. Paul says, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Even John, who wrote 1 John even John said, and, and in Revelation, he records a couple different instances where he says, fear God, fear God, right? And he saw a vision of Jesus that was frightening, right? That's like, whoa, yeah, okay? And, and so how, what do we make of that? The fear of the Lord versus an unhealthy fear. Here, here are some, some theologians in the past who have helped kind of distinguish between the two. And this is something I've spent a, a good deal of time thinking about and wrestling with as I see both in Scripture. Do not be afraid, but then fear the Lord, as, as Samuel exhorts. So, so one is a forbidden fear, and the other is a fear commanded, as John Bunyan said. One is, one is bondage fear, and the other is reverential fear. One is Phileo fear, and one is servile fear. One is idolatrous fear, and the other worshipful fear. I like Spurgeon. One is fear that draws um, draws men. Sorry, typo. One that draws men further from God versus fear that drives men toward God. I think this is key, right? Is it is it a crippling fear? That causes us to run away from God, or do we move towards Him and take refuge in Him? You see, because the fear of the Lord, as the Bible talks about, the fear of the Lord is a description of, of a life that is God oriented. It's a description of a life that is worshipful and reverent and takes God seriously, who listens, uh, a life who listens to the words of God and, and gives weight to his words and, and, and acknowledges him and his ways. And the fear of the Lord has been described as living with the awareness that God's eyes are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. So the fear of the Lord is a good thing. It's a healthy thing. It's a, it's a healthy thing. Fear. Now, some push back and would say, you know, fear fear should have no motivation in the life of a Christian at all, right? And and, and I would push back on that, and I, I would say, you know, of course, with these passages that are very clear. Um, but the Bible ultimately, the, the reality is, if if we don't fear God, we're going to be vulnerable to fearing evil, fearing men, fearing death. Fearing harm. The fear of the Lord is accompanied also by hope. 
Psalm 33, verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope his mercy. Psalm 147, 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his mercy. Right? And so there's this, this connection here between hope and fear. The fear of the Lord is, is accompanied by satisfaction. By satisfaction. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it is satisfied. And his soul will abide in satisfaction or well-being. Delight. And so is it a fear that draws us away from God or draws us closer to God? Samuel, 1 Samuel 12, 24 says, Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you. I'm just reminded of you know going, standing at a majestic view. I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but I've seen a few different amazing views looking off mountains. And as I'm looking off those mountains, I'm like, I don't want to get too close to the edge. It's a long ways down. So there's a, there's a healthy, holy fear of, I'm way up here. Right? I'm way up here. And I'm looking at, 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 at the creation that God the Almighty has made. And I'm in awe and wonder of Him. So we see that, that Samuel is committed to interceding and instructing Israel in response. So he, he comforts them with the reality that God is not going to forsake his people. God is for them. And then he, he finishes, he, he says this here and he says, fear the Lord at the very end. But he says, when they request prayer, he says, moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I will instruct you in the good and the right way. We've already talked about this a little bit as uh, Samuel as the intercessor interceding for the Israelites. Samuel here equates him stopping praying for the Israelites as sin. Okay? Not just the not just sins that, that you commit, that you do, that you transgress, but sins of omission. If you if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, he sees that. As, as sin, if he were to stop. He wasn't going to just slip off in retirement, though he was old. He was going to continue to intercede for Israel. He was going to continue to instruct them and to teach them in the way. This is an example of godly leaders. This is what we see in the New Testament. Godly leaders, the Apostle Paul, who prayed for the churches. Uh, we see in the book of Acts that the, the apostles, when they were being just, just kind of overwhelmed with all the needs in, of ministry, the, the serving of tables, they had to appoint deacons to help take care of the, the, the practical needs, the, the daily distribution, getting to, to everybody who needed the food. And so they said in the deacons, so that they can commit themselves to prayer in the, the ministry of the word. Okay, this is to be priority for pastors, priority for uh, leaders within the church, elders, people of prayer and people of the word who instruct. And this is what I'm committed to as a, as a leader here at City Church. I'm committed to praying for you. 
committed to praying for you. And God forbid that I should sin against the Lord and ceasing to pray for you. God forbid that I should uh, uh, quit preaching the word of God and teaching the word of God and, and delivering the whole counsel of the word of God that is in the Bible right here on Sunday mornings in community group. I'm committed to that by God's grace. And let me let me just highlight again that we have a perfect intercessor, Jesus, who ever lives to make intercession for us. And so even when you feel that nobody or, or few people are praying for you, know that Christ is interceding for you. He has prayed for you and he is interceding on your behalf. Hebrews 7, 25. And so let me close with a couple points of application here. Reflect on and rejoice in the great things that God has done in the gospel. So he says, fear the Lord. At the, at the end of uh, verse, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. But for consider what great things he's done for you. Like, don't forget, remember, God has been good to you. God has provided for you. God has guided and protected and shielded and sustained. And he's been with you through your valleys. Read Psalm 23. It just speaks of the providential care and guidance and leadership of the Lord in our lives. And so reflect on... And rejoice in the great things God has done for you, especially in the gospel. He has brought us redemption, forgiveness. He's restored us into relationship with God. He's given us hope, purpose. Consider what great things He's done for you. And then fear God and take Him seriously by giving your attention to His words and allegiance to him and his ways. Take him seriously. For some of us, that may be that may include putting our devices down. Just giving him our attention. Taking his words seriously. Putting aside distractions. Psalm 20, um, sorry, it's 25, 12 through 14. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. And lastly, acknowledge your past sins and focus on following the Lord today, knowing that he will not leave you nor forsake you. He is 100% for you, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all, how will he not, through him, graciously give us all things? If you would pray with me.